smoke uh, Guess who's Bizak? You still smell a in my clothes Don't make me have to relapse on these Take it back down the tax in the road When I was hugging it Couldn't do nothing with it Straight from the oven with it Came from the dirt I emerged from it all without a stain on my shirt You could blame my old earth For the she instilled in me Still with me Pain plus work She made me milk this game Oh, this is interesting First of all, we got a, uh, a nice little throwback song here Tell us about the song, TJ yeah, uh, for this first uh, episode of the season, I had to, to get a very appropriate song titled Guess Who's Back, Scarface, featuring Jay-Z, Beanie Siegel, New York Connection. You'll, you'll see why very soon uh, from the 2002 album The Fix. As always, if you're new um, or if you're a member from last year, you can find that song with all of the other great intro songs from the DFS MVP podcast on our DFS MVP Spotify playlist. Just go to Spotify, search DFS MVP, or go to my Twitter. I'm always tweeting out the link to the playlist along with the link to the podcast. Uh, today is a very special day, not only because it's our first episode of the season, but we are welcoming back my brother from another mother, Chris Raybon, to discuss DraftKings Best Ball Tournament. Uh, for those that don't know, I don't know how you don't, Chris is the former senior editor of DFS at 444, the senior editor at Action Network, co-host of the award-winning Action Network podcast, a 56.6% NFL better, all picks tracked in Action Network app, follow at Chris Raybon, and also find him on Twitter at Chris Raybon, (laughs) weekly DFS breakdowns at Fantasy Labs, and Sirius XM Fantasy Radio, Saturday and Sunday. He's a busy man because he's a damn near genius. Chris, what the hell is up, man? What you been up to? Welcome back. How are you? Oh, man. Uh, appreciate the intro, TJ. Holden, glad to be back. I, I heard that little, uh, you know, under your breath, Holden. Well, all, my bets are, all my bets are tracked. And I'm, all, and I'm also nasty in NBA. I'm not, I'm not yes, just a one-trick is. pony. 6.6. Um, 6. That is a Hundreds of bets. Number. All my bets tracked since 2018. I do this. Mm. Um, it it kind of changed how I approach fantasy. Uh, to be mm-hmm. honest, we'll talk all about that. Um, but yeah, been 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 good. Uh, doing uh, just did a, a NBA betcast uh, live on League Pass um, for the last couple of days. We're doing another game Friday, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, you know, all of our rankings in, in, are up at ActionNetwork.com. All of our content, uh, and I'm on Twitter at Chris Raybon. But I'm here now, so we're gonna yeah, talk. Man. Yeah, I mean, you guys over at Action Labs, you guys are are always ahead of the curve between. Uh, between you and Bales and Friedman, obviously real close friends of ours. Um, I mean, before we get any th- get into everything, you guys uh, have any specific plans that you want to plug for football season? Oh yeah, so we are about to release our uh, fantasy tool. Um, should mm-hmm. be up by the time you guys hear this, but you're going to be able to kind of um, you know optimize your draft. You're going to be able to see all of our projections and, and, and all that good stuff. So um, you know, we also got Sean Corner, the odds maker, yeah, um, who just won the season long number one um, ranker accuracy for for the 2019 season. Nice. Um, I finished top four in the weekly accuracy last year. So you know, Friedman was top ten the year before. We got the team out there, man. Come yeah, see. Man. Yes, come see yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. After you listen to DFS MVP, of course. Yeah, of course. Between between four for four and and Fantasy Labs, like you don't need to subscribe anywhere else. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. to do that, if you haven't signed up for four for four yet, uh, you could sign up now. Special for listeners. If you use code DFS MVP, you get twenty five percent off the DFS MVP sub only. That's only good for that subscription and. We're giving away a ton of stuff right now. Go on my Twitter or the 4-4 Twitter to look for those giveaways. 
All right, very good. So here's what we do on DFS MVP. I don't know if it's the same thing that uh, you and Raybon used to do. More or less. It is, right? It's the yeah. exact same thing. Yeah. You say, you saying you didn't listen to our podcast whole day? <laughs> you, know the funniest well, part you didn't do your research? I listened to the Of course I listen to podcasts. <laughs> I told you that all the time. Man, again, re- meeting Raybon for the first time was hilarious. I don't know what your story is, TJ, but anyways. Well, uh, Raybon has slept on my couch. Our stories run deep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, and a lot of people don't know. I think, uh, Holden, you and I did a podcast, I, I want to say before DFS MVP. Like, that was one of the first, like, the- weekly podcast yeah. I, I i have done in this industry so uh you know shouts to, to you and i we go back to yeah FanDuel. Hey, you yeah. and me did uh, and a guy by the name of ben standing we did the first ever FanDuel podcast yes and then all the ads came out and ruined our life or my life for like a year. <laughs> and, <laughs> it always comes full circle yeah it does it does so here's the deal the preseason is a little different this year we're gonna we've got no games so we're gonna have a new guest on every week we'll discuss a different theory topic and we'll get uh, rebroadcasts out there of old theory-only episodes. So every Monday throughout August. So really, you're getting a couple of different episodes. I don't even remember doing the shows last year, so you don't either. <laughs> hey, Raybon, do you ever have to do live reads? Oh, my goodness. I had this one for, I think it was, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the name now. It was like, it, uh, Doesn't I, matter. Yeah, it was bad. It was, it, yes, but yes, it's, it's really hard. And, uh, and, and, and some of them just aren't optimized for live reading. And so I would encourage people who make those reads, you know, keep us in mind, keep the, the, the people that are out there, you know, trying to do this live on air uh, and, and twist our tongues, you know, make our lives a little easier. We're, we're trying to we're trying to get your your name out there. Help oh. us out a little bit. Well, hey, here, here's a suggestion. If, if you're if you're a podcaster and you want to practice your live reads, listen to Bill Burr's podcast. He's the pro of live ad reads. That's just a, that's just a little extra non football tip. All right, so anyways, this is why I say, Raybon, because you're going to be a part of this one here, because support for DFS MVP is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, Raybon. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Do you need grooming experience? Do I need to? Are you, you asking me something? if I need to shave my pubes? Is that what we're talking about? Three point Do my, you need it? I keep my shit in check, but I'll check it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after after listening to that brilliant live read you just did, how can I not? <laughs> Wasn't that the point? Get twenty percent off plus free shipping <laughs> with the code DFSMVP. At manscaped.com, your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping using the code DFSMVP at manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com. Use the code DFSMVP. Rather than talk about Ravon's pubes, let's get to some football, TJ. <laughs> yeah, man, before you, uh, before you trim down your roster, make sure you trim downstairs. <laughs> All right, so today, <laughs> we are off the rails, guys. Today. We are going to do something a little bit different. I know this is a a DFS podcast, but um, it being um, early in the preseason with no um, preseason games to play, uh, we're going to focus on the best ball tournament that is being hosted on a traditional um, DFS platform. It's it's hosted on DraftKings. So uh, it's it's a really nice transition for um, those redraft players that um, are, are... 
just wanting to try something different, maybe just get on the DraftKings platform, but uh, don't want to dive all the way into DFS. And then for DFSers that don't have um, preseason to play, if, you, if you're only an NFL person like me, mm. uh, it, it gives you something to do um, in, in this August preseason. So a quick synopsis of best ball format, the way DraftKings is structured, um, it's a 20-player roster with no defense, no kicker. Uh, there's no league management. So every week, uh, DraftKings just submits automatically submits your optimal lineup for you. Uh, uh, same scoring uh, that you see in, in DraftKings DFS, um, PPR bonuses for yardage, uh, and and there there are some nuances to um, to best ball management. But today we're just going to kind of get into the strategy of uh, of tournaments this size because they're they're still relatively new in the space. And along the way, we'll touch on a general best ball strategy. This specific tournament on uh, DraftKings, actually two big tournaments on DraftKings, um, the way they're structured, there's a $3 play action, which is $50,000 to first place, and then $20 millionaire, uh, which is a million dollars to first place. And it's, it's four rounds, so uh, it plays just like a, a traditional uh, redraft league for the first 13 weeks in a 12-man league. Uh, if you win your league, everybody in that league makes it to the second round which again you're put into another 12-man league if you win that league you make it to the third round where you're put into another 12-man league for week 15 after that there's only 100 players left in the millionaire 150 left in the play action and in that week 16 the high score in that week is going to get the championship payout um so there are small payouts for second and third place in each 12-man league through week 13 but you really need to win your league to get through to the next round so um raybon let's just before we dive into the strategy of of playing best ball in a large tournament like this uh what do you think about about the structure of this tournament and uh let's just kind of dive into your thoughts on that so i like pretty much every form of fantasy football yeah. so i'm not going to say i don't like it but it's mm -hmm. not my favorite i'll put it that way yeah. just be just because and i'm going to play it but yeah for sure i think what it does is it kind of rewards luck versus skill a little bit more by kind of treating weeks one through what is it 13 mm -hmm, as yep. yeah it's treating weeks one through 13 as kind of the regular season and then there's this uh, overly increased uh, importance and weight yeah. on week 14 week 15 and week 16 which are treated yeah. as completely separate entities so yes I would prefer for a tournament like that if because best ball that's the whole point of best ball you know it's kind of this thing where you, you're not managing your roster I would prefer if somehow you were still incorporating more heavily um, those first 13 weeks beyond just it's a cutoff mm -hmm, to get mm -hmm. into these like uh, you know, uh, uh, sudden death weeks, I guess yes. you could say. So yeah, like yeah, like an an example would be like something like um, like the Scott Fishbowl, where where you get into some kind of um, some kind of buy or some kind of tiered playoff system based on those thirteen weeks, where all that weight was just put right. Absolutely, but I mean, I think to be honest, it's really beneficial for the casual player and and the player that is uh, a little bit newer because it, it gives mm -hmm. you more of a chance. I think if you're a person that I guess would consider yourself more of an expert or, or a high volume player. It's probably not as great for you because again, yeah. it, it just kind of decreases the amount that skill is involved in determining uh, the winner as opposed to luck. Right. I'm and, and it just it's it's not really something that you can plan a strategy for because of the way that 
weeks 14, 15, and 16 are broken up, it's not like you can just like plan for this like upside in those weeks because there is like there's a lot of variance in especially in rounds two and three because in, in the first round if you're the best team 13 weeks that's fine but you can be it, it sets up this really high variance scenario where it's not just high score out of all the players remaining like you can you can in theory have the second highest score out of all the players remaining in the second round and not advance because you lost to the high score who happens to be in your 12-man league. So, like, you can't really prepare for that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of takes some of the more traditional redraft, season-long playoff uh, format and applies mm-hmm. it, which I, I guess was the, the purpose. But I would prefer something a little different where maybe you, like, let's say, all right, you make it to, to, week, uh, to the first round of the playoffs and you use mm-hmm. that weeks 1 through 13. So in mm-hmm. week 14... How about you just take the highest score uh, of every team remaining for each position um, Mm. from weeks one through 14 now? So if my quarterback, for example, let's say I have Mahomes and his highest score was in week three, that week three score for my quarterback slot is what counts. Now, if Mm. Mahomes happens to put up his highest score in week 14 or another quarterback on my roster does, then I use that score. But I think that would be a little more fair way to do it, to kind Mm. of incorporate um, the the strength of the teams that made it and that were drafted um, into the final outcome. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this, I mean, DraftKings is obviously brand new to best ball. Um, Best ball as a whole is still... Uh, relatively new um, especially these big tournaments like we've only had a couple of them draft which is um, no longer a a platform is really the only site that's been running huge best ball tournaments Um, now we have have underdog who's also uh, running a large tournament but but DFSers are going to be more familiar with DK Uh, so I I do think that this will be a learning experience um, especially for DraftKings we've seen DraftKings they push the envelope on tournaments they push the envelope on structure Um, they definitely listen to their high stakes players so we'll see how this plays out um, but as it stands right now like you said it's it's a high variance tournament um, it's falls somewhere in between best ball I know you play high volume uh, regular best ball leagues like I do obviously you play play high volume DFS so like just as a as a bankroll or a player share strategy how are you incorporating like these huge super high variance tournaments into your bankroll or, or, or even thinking about them as part of your, your bankroll or player exposure? Or are you just doing something completely different? Yeah, so I don't really kind of view it as like I have this one, I have one big bankroll and I'm going to kind of mm-hmm. allocate it separately just because I'm investing in so many different things at this point. Yeah. As you guys know, I do a ton of betting. I probably do more betting, um, you know, bankroll wise than, than, than fantasy and DFS um, combined. So, yeah. it, but what I do do, I think, I, I don't think we should be looking at even in these tournament structures, um, but in best ball in general, I don't think we should be looking at it from a portfolio perspective mm-hmm. that would kind of be similar to, uh, you know, like your player exposure percentages for a given week in DFS. And the reason right. being is because there's a huge difference. In DFS, players are at a fixed cost. They're at a fixed yes. salary. And value is determined by your ability to combine the and prioritize the the most optimal combinations and choose the the right players to put in those combinations whereas in best ball drafts and obviously this applies to all types of fantasy where you're you're drafting 
each draft is different and there's going to be an optimal strategy for that particular draft. And by, I think, focusing too much on player exposures, you're going to take away from simply optimizing your draft. And I think it's important when you're, whatever you're doing, you know, forecasting wise, when you're investing, whether it's betting, whether it's DFS, whether it's fantasy, uh, to understand your fallibility, which means understand your error rate, right? And I think um, that it's, our ability to optimize a portfolio of players via all these separate drafts is a lot harder than simply optimizing ba- based on each draft and just taking you yeah. know what each draft gives you because you don't have fixed salaries. Right. Right. Like right. one player slipping to you in a given draft could make all of the difference in that draft. Like yes. it, it could it, like like let's say Lamar Jackson you know, falls to you last year and you had no plans to draft him or something like that. You know, like there are, there are certain players that are going to make all the difference. And also I don't think that uh, we should be necessarily focused too much on kind of having this spread out portfolio uh, of different players with these ranges, because there are only a certain amount of players in a, in a fantasy league, whether it's best ball or or otherwise that are going to decide the outcome of the league. Like Cause it's it's there's like in the first six rounds, pretty much, it's hard to mess up. There's there's a few players mm-hmm. that you're gonna whiff on. There's a few players that will just be bad luck injuries. But for the majority of the players, there that that kind of score you the most points, they're gonna be gone. And then yep. each round after that, you could count almost on one hand for the rest of the draft the difference makes. I mean, last year it's like, um, and, and a lot of these guys weren't even drafted, but, you know, Lamar Jackson yep. was, um, but yep. like DJ Chark wasn't, AJ right. Brown probably wasn't, McLaren probably wasn't, you know, so they're, those are the guys that you need to be finding. And if you're super heavy on those guys, because they're, you're, you're like a, a two rounds higher on them than the consensus, then you should be taking them every time you get yeah. the chance yes. to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, basically the, the later you get, the more like you should be heavy on those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing like people just don't, I, I guess people think about it, but maybe the newer players might not realize if you're thinking about um, whether it's player exposure or bankroll, like unlike DFS, like you're just going to have money tied up for months at a time. So mm-hmm. it's like, like the, and the, and the return on that money um, I mean, unless you're playing like a tournament like this, um, isn't going to be huge. So I think you you can definitely, like you said, just be super overweight um, on on some of those players uh, before like we get into the nitty gritty of the the uh, tournament specific strategies for for this huge championship. Uh, you wrote a piece earlier in the season that basically outlined your strategy for best ball, um, just in general for people that play redraft they might not be familiar with some of the nuances you want to hit on a couple of those real quick before we jump into tournament strategy absolutely so the piece is up on, on actionnetwork.com it's called raybon's best ball strategy and um i think the key for me is you know always think about ceiling always think about players that um can give you top end production for that position and do it over the longest duration possible so that's why for example I am not keen on drafting a guy like, let's say, a Debo Samuel if he's going to start the year on the pup. Because I think that there are guys uh, that are still available that could give you potentially 16 weeks of upside. Sure. Whereas you're capping yourself with with, with Samuel. Let me cut you off right there. Um, One of the the hot 
button topics um, this offseason has, has been Antonio Brown. And we know when he is active, him specifically, he has potential to be a top 12, maybe top five wide receiver. Who knows what he is when he's active. If, if he has a landing spot and you know you get – you know he's out for eight weeks now, but we know where he's playing. Like, how do you manage a player like that who can, yeah, you're not going to get 16 weeks of production from him, but you might get league-winning production for the second half and maybe in the in a, a tournament where, where the points are mattering the most. I manage Antonio Brown the same way the Steelers, Raiders, Patriots, and Roger Goodell manage <laughs> Antonio Brown. You are off my team you are on my exempt list i am not doing it because even if antonio brown theoretically gets a landing spot right now like he signs to a team there's no telling that he'll be on that team tomorrow he retired three times in the last year yeah cool yep yep all right all right and he might not even be that good like he might not be that good anymore he's like old now that's important. So, too. like, Josh Gordon, he was on Seattle last year. Like, right. Josh, people talk about Josh Gordon the same way. It's like, do we not remember that he had a perfect opportunity on a team that had, like, two pass catchers and, and no tight end? Yeah. And he showed the world, even with a quarterback that is godlike in Russell Wilson, he showed yeah. the world that he's washed. And yeah. so, and, and, and Cam Newton might be the same thing, but at least he has upside. Um, yeah. You know, at least he's on a roster and in a position to start from week one. We don't know if he's the starter, going to be the starter, but at least he's in position. These other guys that, like, Devontae Freeman, like, these guys aren't on teams. Right. Just forget them. Until they yeah. sign to a team, they're, they should be off the, off the radar, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I had to take that obvious pivot. But uh, a couple more thoughts on, on just general best ball strategy before we jump into tournaments. So I think the biggest thing that, that maybe hasn't quite been – said this way in the past for me is fade known quantities uh mm-hmm. and, and that and that i don't mean that in the first you know five six rounds but what i mm-hmm. mean is once you get past those high floor players you always have those guys that when in, in fantasy projections and rankings they're kind of just penciled in for volume and, and mm-hmm. because best ball is ppr or at least half ppr um in almost every case you're gonna that's gonna be kind of shooting them up rankings but the real guys that um uh, tend to decide leagues are the players that people uh are scared to draft because they have no established track record and it would Mm -hmm. all be a projection those are the guys you have to target you have to be on dj chark like okay dd westbrook and chris conley and whoever the jags had at tight end last year like these are not impediments to a good receiver taking over. So you have to mm-hmm. kind of look at the, that, that, that. And I think air yards is really big for pass catchers um, because if you're going to have a guy that, like a receiver, that is being drafted 60th and you need him to jump, you know, 30 receivers or more to, to really give you value and make a difference, then air yards are the clearest path to doing that because that's going to give you the opportunity for variance to work in your favor. So you look at the, all the wide receivers that had the most, you know, 20 point games last year. Uh, first of all, it's kind of a situation where it's like a 80, 20 rule where like, it's not quite 80, 20, but most of the, the, the big games are controlled by like 10 receivers or eight, or eight running backs, yeah. you know, there's, mm-hmm. and, and so to, to find those few exceptions in the late rounds, you have to, um, I, I think, start with air yards. So for example, this year, a guy that his ADP is starting to rise, but Deshaun Jackson could, uh, he projects to lead the Eagles in air yards. 
and he and he's going outside the top 40 usually. Darius Slayton projects to lead the Giants in their yards. He usually goes uh, around that spot as well. Henry Ruggs, same deal. Like those are the guys that are going to make a difference. Or, and, and once you get even later, guys that could potentially do it, like a Denzel Mims, I think mm-hmm. is a guy. You know, no track record will probably go undrafted in some in some leagues. But Brashad Perriman caught. 11 passes or through the first nine weeks or something like that. Jameis Winston is going to make any receiver look good. Um, he's not an impediment. Jamison Crowder, anytime you have those slot receivers that are high volume, it's actually really good for these air yards guys because those guys could still get targets. Like a Crowder could still catch four balls a game and Mims could pop. Like just like Chark popped last year, D.D. Westbrook was still catching, you know, averaging about four, four catches per game. So um, those guys are not the guys you want because – Yes, they're going to get volume, but they're going to average like 10, 11 yards per catch, and they're mm-hmm. less likely to give you high-end touchdown variants. So that, that's valuable when you need like predictable outcomes in redraft leagues where you have to choose your starters. That's valuable in DFS when you need cheap salary punt plays and cash games. It is not valuable in best ball when you have no opportunity to change your roster. So you need guys that are going to be able, that give you the best chance to jump the guys drafted in front of them. Yeah, I, I think where people um, really mess that part up, like basically everything you just explained is people just not understanding um, floors. Um, and I know you're talking about ceiling, but like take take a Muhammad Sanu. Like if you're in the 14th round, like yes, Sanu has a higher floor than what, whatever wide receiver four on a depth chart, but his his six points per game <laughs> isn't really any more usable than that other receiver zero points per game when that receiver zero points per game could be the DJ Chark or Terry McLaurin. So yeah. um, like, I don't want that six. What's that six points per game going to give me? Cool. Like, yeah, he has a higher floor, but he's never going to be in my, my best ball roster. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a really, really good point. I'm still just writing down here. Anytime I want to trigger Raybon, ask him about Antonio Brown. <laughs> oh, I'm a fan of AB. Like, I, I think he's very, he's an entertaining dude. I, I think he generally, you know, got a bad rap from the media for most of his career, but he's also just not a dude I want on my fantasy team at this point. I think the big thing in fantasy too, um, besides just kind of, um, you know, the thing, you know, what we talked about with, with, with drafting, you know, being risk averse, I guess you could put it, is people hold on too long. People, ra- like, I would rather be one year too early to, to jump off the bus than mm-hmm. one year too late. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm one year too early, I still have the upside of, of being right on somebody else. Whereas if I'm wrong on this guy, I'm just wrong on this guy and I'm stuck with him. Who are you dropping a year too soon? I mean, well, so I'm trying to think this year. Let's see. It would be, I'm trying to think of a good example. I mean, you mentioned Devontae Freeman, who I think people are still trying to, trying to attack. Are they? Yeah. I think, I, I think I, people yeah. are hoping he jumps on a team. Yeah. I, I think this, it's interesting because and you you don't see as like, okay, Adrian Peterson. Like, mm-hmm. he, he could be cut before week one. Some people are like, oh, high upside, late round pick. Like, come on, come on. Like, why do it to yourself? Like guys like that, and and, and there's always going to be the exception. But even the ex- like, if you're kind of targeting those guys and and satisfied with the exceptions, you're not really going to be winning a lot of leagues. Because even yeah. even though Adrian Peterson was an exception, Frank Gore has been an exception at times. Who those guys weren't really winning people fantasy leagues. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I this feels like someone Raybon might disagree with me on, but like people are still trying to tout Kenny Stills, and it's like, come on. Man. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, like like he, like so the only the only thing I could yeah like if he's like right now Kenny Stills is like he's a fourth option and we we'll talk about Houston because Houston's actually a really um, interesting best ball theory team to to discuss so we'll get into that but yeah Kenny Stills is fourth on the depth chart now the one thing about him is he could be traded it but even if he is he's never really been a guy that's shown he can get high volume now he is an air yards guy he could yep. be an air yards guy but yep. just not yeah like d- d- take take LaVisca Chanel take Denzel Mims yeah. take Brandon Ayuk take rookies because there's this there's this narrative that rookies are going to struggle because of COVID-19 and while it may be true that some rookies struggle and especially like a guy like Kashawn Vaughn who it's obvious that the team does not trust him and now he's on the COVID list and Bruce Arians looks like he wants to go with a veteran like last year they had Barber um, now they got McCoy but there's also going to be rookies that don't struggle like you can't generalize and I think if the if the market consensus is generally buying into a narrative you have a one in ten or one in twelve or one in whatever chance of winning your league or your tournament so you need to think contrarian to an extent and it's an easy way to do it is just to fade these narratives that people are applying across the like lazily applying across the board multiple coaches have said it though i just yeah since when have coaches ever um, given us like valuable insight to I what is this, going to happen because this is not a trap question by anything. This is just a hey, what do you guys think about rookies? And at no point in time have I heard one say that missing a whole off season is going to be easy on these guys, and they're just going to slide right into the offense. Like uh, I think first of all, we've got no preseason games whatsoever, so that's ultra valuable. I think you take four weeks off right there. The first four weeks of the actual regular season would be crazy. What you're hoping then, and this is what I usually do too, Raybon, in the second half of the season, my rookie wide receivers emerge and win, you know, help me win titles. DK Metcalf last year, but I think they're going to be even farther behind this year. And I don't think it's lazy. I think it's, if you look at it, it's going to be a lot of fact. Okay, but like, let me put it, to you, let me put it this way, like, as like a, a counterpoint. So this could be true any year. It, you know, COVID is just the cause of it, but a rookie could miss camp for any variety of reasons, right? So who wins their league? The guy last year, the guy that fades DK Metcalf, Marquise Brown, and Terry McLaurin, or the guy that has all three? But that's... There's just more upside. I'm sorry. There's just more upside to going against the grain because if you're wrong, everyone can be wrong. This fantasy is hard. That's why we're doing podcasts about it and spending hours and hours of our lives like attached to spreadsheets. Like This is not easy, but... but the upside cannot be ignored um, versus like the, the risk adversity at those draft positions, in my opinion, because all those guys at wide receiver, there's not a lot of wide receivers. It's different from running back where if, if a guy gets injured and then another guy gets injured, the running back's almost guaranteed a certain number of touches for Correct. as long as he's atop that depth chart. Wide receiver, it takes talent as well. Like you can't just emerge as a, uh, a, a top-end fantasy receiver, a guy that can put up wide receiver one-two numbers, unless you have talent and opportunity. And so if a guy has talent and opportunity and he's never played a preseason snap and was limping through camp and maybe didn't even play a, a camp snap, but he's talented, I'd rather take him because there's only so many of those guys available. Even if I hit like one out of three, that might be the difference in my league versus like 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 a Mohamed Sanu 
or something like that, you know? So well, that's what, then that's what you're talking about. You're talking yeah. about taking a rookie or you're talking about taking some guy that's been in the league for 10 years. That's going to give you a nice floor. So basically, yes, I, I get it. It's all about risk, but I'm really trying to stay away from drafting as many as I'm not drafting three rookie wide receivers, man. Why? I, That's the I, perfect I think, strategy. I, it's the I perfect think, strategy. Like, yeah. think about it. You're you're trying to win a, a first of all a week where it's, it's it's one in twelve. Even is you have an eight percent chance. Everyone has an eight percent chance. Like on average, if they're if they were equal. If you're talking about a DFS tournament, now mm-hmm. you're talking about you know thousands and hundreds of thousands. Why wouldn't you be that likely one person who? went against the grain and and has this roster construction of talented players that probably don't exist on any other team like that's the easiest path to winning if in my opinion if you play a million leagues if you play how many leagues do you play best balls seriously hundreds, hundreds? Not, not millions, <laughs> not right, millions. So if you're playing hundreds and hundreds and most of the people listen to this i highly doubt even play 100 best ball leagues sure you know but yeah, fine, I get it. That's a wonderful strategy. You know, have exposure to three rookie wide receivers on one team if you want to do that. But for, for the most people, they're not playing hundreds and hundreds of lineups. And that's fine if you want to take a chance on three rookie wide receivers. I just feel like there's got to be a better path to be unique as opposed to taking a risk on three wide receivers. Hey, I love Denzel Mims too, okay? And you're right. He could be a lottery ticket, especially in like standard. He's just catching touchdown passes all the time. But I cannot see where we have very many uh, solid rookie wide receiver performances this year. I guess you and I could talk about it, the, you know, when it's all said and done. But yeah, this, I, mean, uh, I think, this I, off season, even with the coaches talking about this, it's I, I, it's concerning. They missed a lot of work with their guys. I would just say this, and, and this is not specifically um, tied to rookie wide receiver. This is tied to any kind of consensus or view or narrative where there's upside going against the grain it's it's not that i'm saying go out and draft three rookie receivers to draft three rookie receivers Mm -hmm. i'm saying i'm not fading guys just because they're rookies Mm -hmm. if they are if i see um value at that particular draft slot and generally when the market is 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 one way the best path to victory in, in when it when your chances are already slim is to start by default going against the grain so i would say if you only have one team it's actually the best time to go higher risk because if yeah. you have 100 teams you're naturally going to get exposure to a v- variety of different combinations and players mm-hmm. and you're not going to be able to do that but if you only have one team then you need to swing for the fence. It's like you. It's like you have one bullet. It's like what do you? Are you know? Are you gonna just kind of shoot it with with everyone else into the same target, or are you gonna try to you know go straight for the bullseye? And, and maybe you miss completely. But either way, you're losing. If you're, you're last, if you're not first, essentially. Like yeah. I don't think anyone's aiming for you know that. What is it? Recouping their entry fee by winning third place. <laughs> right? like, I'm not. I'm not here. This is not that kind of podcast. Like. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we we out here to finish first or we can finish last baby like yeah I, even um even if you're on on holding side where you're not like on the rookies like i think the the point chris is trying to make is that yes you need to find a way to be really contrarian like in 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 dfs which kind of we're, we're looking for the parallels here um like it might be a very obvious pay up for running back week but if the contrarian thing might be to pay up for wide receiver in a tournament here we're looking for ways to be contrarian if you don't like rookies 
Um, maybe you're somebody that you and you only have one bullet. Maybe you go with some hyper fragile strategy, start the draft with three running backs, um, and just make a unique lineup that way. But uh, let, let's move on to a, a, another um, DFS tactic. So stacking, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. What's uh, What's the game plan there, Raybon? What's uh, you implementing stacking? What's your strategy there? Yeah, I do. Um, it, it's it's not always deliberate. I will say this. I think stra- stacking is a very uh, high upside strategy and, and a way to build a unique lineup in a fantasy league, in a best ball league. So uh, I, I think it is something that people should consider in all formats. But I don't always do it deliberately because I think it's more that I have a certain um, number of, of different teams in mind that I think can work in the context of a draft in term- to stack. And if the opportunity arises, I will, I will do it. But I'm not like reaching on guys, for example, just to complete a stack. Or I'm not like passing up what I think is a better value at a certain spot just to, to stack. Like it has to kind of come together naturally. So for me, the team that I own the most of is the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, because I love it from a, new, a number of perspectives. For one, I have Tyreek Hill ranked number two at wide receiver after Michael Thomas. So already a lot of people don't take Tyreek Hill over Devontae Adams or Julio Jones uh, or, 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 or uh, sometimes even DeAndre Hopkins. So it's already contrarian. But especially when you're, you're talking about higher stakes, sharp leagues, where you know, generally it's accepted. And it's, it's true, like late round quarterback in a one quarterback league uh, is is the, the soundest way to go. But hardly anyone's going to do a tight end and a quarterback in the first mm-hmm. three rounds. So, like, sometimes I'll get Mahomes and Kelsey or Hill, Kelsey, Mahomes or Edward Tolaire, you know, Mahomes, Kelsey or some combination of that. I, I always draft Miko Hardman whenever I can. He was number one in fantasy points per target. Uh, he, don't, you know, he, he was halfway to 1,000 yards on under 50 targets. His quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. Um, they talk, they're talking about taking him off special teams um, just so he can focus on his offensive role. He has ridiculous upside, exactly the kind of player you want to draft late. And, and even Sammy Watkins, um, you know, a guy that was really disappointing last year after the, the hot start. But at the same time, how many guys, number one, have Patrick Mahomes thrown to them? Number two, are capable of putting up a three-touchdown game. So, you know, like I, I'm drafting all of the Chiefs. Um, every, every chance I get. So that's kind of the most natural stack uh, that comes together uh, for me. I want to stay on the Chiefs for a second before we move on because uh, it's, it's a really unique situation because they have so many players. What they have, if, if, if Mahomes is going in the second round, they have four players going in the first two rounds. Um, so you're obviously going to be at the mercy of the draft a lot of time. I mean, they're still my third highest owned offense um, in best ball right now, but uh, a, a lot of times I, I can't get the guys I want to. So, are you, um, and I guess this goes for all offenses, are you going into drafts like thinking I want to draft as many Chiefs as possible if, I, if I'm not able to land, say, Kelsey and Tyreek? If you get Mahomes, then are you kind of moving someone up like me, Cole, or Sammy Watkins up a round or two just to make sure you complete that stack? Or how are you, how are you able to get all these Chiefs when you are at the mercy of the draft so many times because so many people are drafting them in the first couple of rounds? 
Oh, I have this spreadsheet, and it tells me that <laughs> uh, the Chiefs are really good. And so I, 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 I just happen to be – and this is – I'm not even joking. I'm just higher than consensus on yeah. all of the Chiefs. Like, I have Tyreek Hill as my wide receiver, too. I would take Travis Kelsey in the first round. Uh, yeah. I take Miko Hardman pretty much anytime I have three receivers on my roster, I will take him as my wide receiver four. Mm-hmm. Um, no questions asked. And, and Sammy Watkins, same thing as, as, you know, whenever that opportunity arrives. It's like I'm just, I'm just higher on yeah. all of these guys because I think that the upside for them is re- is breaking records, right? Like Absolutely. Patrick Mahomes could throw 60-something touchdowns. Yep, yep. And, like that's, that's it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I don't know if there's ever been a quarterback that, you know, maybe Peyton Manning in his prime, you know, with his best supporting cast. But you have – and for all the – you know, the, speak, talking about the narrative, which I, I generally say to fade, but if you're a continuity narrative truther – um, you know, like the Chiefs even have that going for them. Like they have, they even have Demarcus Robinson back. Like they have everyone back. They have Andy Reid. Um, this is also a team that never has gone under their season-long win total um, with Andy Reid as the coach. So like they're almost guaranteed to be good. They have the best quarterback alive, and there's all these. They can produce ridiculous efficiency because you have so many players to worry about like Tyreek Hill could go down and you still have to worry about Miko Hardman and Travis Kelsey and so Watkins could eat or Edwards Hilaire and it could eat or you know like whoever's in that offense is going to produce fantasy points simply because of the structure uh, and talent on that offense so sorry about that TJ real quick if you're drafting Mahomes Kelsey Hill where are you taking Clyde Edwards Hilaire man well, you gotta now, be exposed to him, seriously, right? I mean, you're gonna have a lot of exposure to him. I have Edwards Alaire ranked uh, RB seven now. Yeah, yeah that's that's, about, that's right. about right. Yep. So I, I go back and forth between him and, and Austin Eckler because Austin Eckler has Christian McCaffrey upside that I think we're kind of ignoring. Uh, Austin Eckler has been nothing. We're but, coming back to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We. we I mean, we're we stand on it right now. Let's just do like Austin Eckler has been nothing short of unbelievable. You know, in his in his in his career in, in the league so far. Uh, he he's a guy that you know when Melvin Gordon was out last year, uh, the the Chargers showed they were willing to give. 20 touches per game. Like that's how much he averaged with Melvin Gordon out. They now then they let Melvin Gordon go. Uh, you know they still have Justin Jackson. They draft Joshua Kelly, but like they they're essentially telling us like, hey, like we believe in Austin Eckler, and this is a guy who, like, who else can put up besides McCaffrey? Uh, who's the best bet to put up like a thousand rushing and a thousand receiving? It's got to be Eckler because you know he. I mean, last year he was. Um, you think you he know, has get, a better chance than Kamara? I do. I do. Okay. I, I think because because I think Kamara now um, is at a point with where where they're kind of like he's going to get his. He, I think he had the same number of catches, if I'm not mistaken, like every year of his career. Or his something volume like that. was almost exact as <laughs> yeah. two years last year, like almost down to every carry and, and catch. Yeah. So I mean, he's in that conversation. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you know, Eckler, and maybe it was because of Kamara's injury, but. Eckler is kind of almost in his prime at this point more than Kamara. Like, Austin Eckler averages uh, 4.8 yards per carry for his career, um, 10 yards per catch every year of his three-year career. So, um, you know, you don't look at, 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 like, per catch and numbers at first. Um, you don't you don't kind of put that much weight on them because it's a small sample. But once you start getting, you know, to 196 targets and, you know, 500, 1,000 routes run, um, those numbers start to become a, a lot more predictive. And Austin Eckler has mm-hmm. just been ridiculously efficient, 6.9 yards per touch for his career. And this is a guy who 
when Melvin Gordon was gone, which he is, was getting 20 touches a game. Yeah, so you so do the he, math. I, I, I already know the first part of the answer because you obviously have him ranked so high and think he'd be a 1,000, a 1,000. The question is, I was going to ask is, do you think he can be like CMC and ball out in a hot garbage offense? So I guess the question is, do you think the Chargers are going to be a hot garbage offense, but Eckler just does what CMC did in a horrible offense? Yeah, I, I don't think, it, like, for running backs of that caliber, I don't really think it matters. Like, look at Saquon right. Barkley, look at McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. In, in, in essence, they kind of make their offenses. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, I, I think Tyrod Taylor is probably not long for that job, uh, unfortunately. Uh, you know, he's never succeeded without Greg Roman, who, by the way, took Lamar oh, Jackson God. from a guy who uh, could not throw a football to the league leader in touchdown passes on the lowest volume passing offense, who was a guy that took Colin Kaepernick from a guy that couldn't throw footballs to a Super Bowl quarterback. I, to, you know, like, like I, It's all Greg Roman, and Greg Roman's not there, so I think it's going to be Herbert. Can I just say I got no, no Twitter love for calling um, Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews the next Kaepernick and uh, Vernon Davis because of Greg Roman, so I, I need my, my small little tiny victory lap on that. <laughs> oh man, I mean, can we talk about Mark Andrews? Because Mark Andrews, like Mark Andrews, is is his upside is well. Let's just talk Baltimore absurd. in general. I think you yes. like Baltimore as a stack, yes. right? So let's yes. talk about them in general. I love Baltimore as a stack. So Baltimore has, because again, Kansas City is almost like. If you're higher on pretty much everyone on KC, like me, than the consensus, yes, you can get kind of a combination of guys. But even then, as you mentioned, now with Edwards Alaire uh, as a first-round pick, you can't get all of these guys on the same roster. Baltimore, you can – because, like, if you shouldn't be taking a quarterback early generally. But if you're going to do it, you might as well kind of attach some, some variance to it. And so – if you're going to take Lamar Jackson early, I think it's a great strategy like for to, to stack and that be your kind of reason for going against the sound strategy of waiting on quarterbacks. So mm-hmm. you can take Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown. We know, we know the kind of upside he had. He, he proved it in the first game he ever played. Then he got hurt. Now he's bulked up. So hopefully he's kind of at a good spot where he's not going to, where he can last through the season and kind of put up that upside all year. But, um, you know, this is a team that I think is going to throw more. They, they were the lowest volume pass offense last year. Lamar, this is something I'd put some weight into. Lamar has, like, before last year, he was like, I'm going to run. I'm not stopping running. This year, he's like, I'm going to throw more. He was ticked off at that Tennessee game. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he, he didn't get it done as a passer, and he had limitations, and they exploited him. And I think he's going to come back and like with Greg Roman. That's the key. Look at the growth he had, you know, the last year. I think, you know, that's it's another example, too, of kind of fading this narrative of maybe development is going to be kind of stunted because of this offseason. Uh, guys can still throw. Guys can still study. Guys can still improve. Um, so Lamar Jackson, you can get him. Uh, you can get all of their running backs, you know, for like fifth round or later, Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins. Ingram probably on the, on the decline, but uh, still a guy who – you know, at least uh, is in the plans. Like he's going to probably get double digit touches for the majority of the year. Dobbins could overtake him at some point. Dobbins has huge upside. I happen to think he's an amazing uh, runner and and was undervalued in this draft. Then you have, you know, Marquise Brown who goes in the, in the sixth, seventh, eighth round. You have um, Andrews is the guy you have to, to go after. And he's so valuable because first of all, this is a guy who, was targeted on 33% of his routes last year. One out of every three. He only played like half the snaps in most games half and ran a, a, a route on half the dropbacks. He has so much upside if he even gets to, to like 65, 70% consistently. Mm-hmm. So he's, he has more upside 
than even Kelsey and Kittle because there's just so much room for growth that has been unrealized, and he's so ridiculously efficient. Uh, he's he's a guy that you know led the, the all the position in, in touchdowns with this low volume offense. Uh, you know, targeted more than anyone else on a per route basis. So you can get him early, and you need that that top four tight end because all these other guys are just interchangeable. Um, and we could talk about that later, but like you could make a good case for all of the, the tight ends outside the, the top four. But the bottom line is, no, none of those guys are, are really getting that type of volume. Maybe one guy will sneak in. It could be Hayden Hurst or somebody like that. But it, you're not getting Ertz volume, Kelsey volume, Andrews volume, and um, and Kittle volume from those other guys. So yeah. you need Andrews, and then and yeah. then and then you go Marquise Brown and one of my favorite late round sleepers, Miles Boykin. Mm-hmm. Seth Roberts is gone. Miles Boykin is really the only guy that profiles as an outside perimeter guy. So he can be an every snap guy because Hurst is gone. So they may not go three tight end quite as much. Uh, it may be more traditional, you know, two wide or three wide offense. That, that, that puts Boykin on the field. He's going from year one to year two. People are kind of fading that, you know, the, the, the development of guys from year one to year two. So you can get him for free and uh, f- attached to a guy that threw the most touchdowns in the league last year. So I, there's nothing I don't like about stacking the Baltimore offense. Yeah, I want to circle back to a point you made. I mean, obviously, um, Lamar is going to regress in terms of touchdown rate, but they're, um, you, you mentioned that that volume is going to go up. Like, they're just not going to be up by 21 points every single game, which is going to make them pass more. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them approach 500 pass attempts. Mm-hmm. So even, I mean, even if you're, like, you're not, like, all in on, on Lamar's second round pick, which I'm not, if, if you are going to have exposure, which you should to it in, in a tournament like this, um, and you get and even if you only go after Andrews and Marquise Brown, like they're two they're two guys that could be in a concentrated offense. They could both see like somewhere in like a twenty two percent target rate and share. If they throw five hundred times, you're looking at like one hundred fifteen to one hundred twenty five targets for both of them. Um, quickly, do you have? Uh, you, you've mentioned like you're not really trying to force any stacks. You're trying to. Uh, kind of let the drafts come to you probably that's more for like when you draft a receiver and then like you're drafting your third quarterback you can pair him up with somebody you already have mm-hmm. um any any offenses that you just that are kind of standing out to you that if the opportunity presents itself you you like them well houston i think houston is, mm-hmm. is the one because that it's another situation where i'm usually not even drafting a quarterback in that next tier it's still too early for me so like that watson murray uh, dak and russell wilson tier but Deshaun Watson is essentially the most expensive Houston player. He's been a top four fantasy quarterback on a per game basis every year. Uh, you can David Johnson. You can get relatively cheap before running back. You know, somewhere around running back twenty if you want to include the running back. And then all of Watson's receivers, despite him being this amazing quarterback, are going top thirty outside I, the top thirty. I cannot wrap my head around Will Fuller's ADP. Oh my God! I, I draft him everywhere. Draft yeah, everywhere. him everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. I don't care if he gives me ten games; those exactly. might be the best. Those ten games could win your league. And Thank and again, you. it's like he's going at a spot where you can already have, and probably should already have, your quote unquote starting wide receiver core or your top three wide receivers filled out. You should already have two running backs. You yep. should like you. There's no. At this point, it doesn't matter if Fuller misses games or even if you whiff on him completely. There's not. 
many wide receivers, if any, that have that kind of upside attached to that quarterback that have done, that have averaged, you know, four and a half catches per game, even with a, a guy who's averaging 10 targets and Hopkins there, a guy who's put up a, a two, can put up a 200 yard, three touchdown game, uh, you know, a guy who's averaging a half a touchdown per game since Watson was drafted. Like, there's just not other receivers like this going outside the top 30. Um, so, so yeah, draft Will Fuller everywhere. And, and to a lesser extent, because I think Fuller's the better player, but it, it even applies to Brandon Cook on some levels too I just tweeted about him last night man yeah like it's like it's absurd like Deshaun Watson is pretty much guaranteed to put up top flight quarterback numbers in every aspect you know yardage he's gonna he's gonna be you know decent you know touchdowns he's gonna be elite and and, and yards per attempt all that and yet you got Fuller going 35 Cook's going 36 uh, Randall Cobb doesn't even get drafted you know he's a guy that I don't generally target um but you know even like Everyone in that offense, like, like somebody's going to have to put up numbers. So the fact that like your first pass catcher is going off the board at, at number thirty-five wide receiver should tell you something. Like that's a, if I'm drafting Watson, um, I'm kind of hoping that I get the. I, I'm always drafting Fuller, but I'm kind of hoping I get the opportunity to, to kind of follow through on that stack because I think that's a really good way to leverage um, taking a quarterback earlier than you should. So yeah, that that leads right into exposure. You have a hundred percent exposure to Will Fuller, don't you? Everywhere. <laughs> I wish. I wish. But nah. I, again, I, you how do you gonna... manage it, Raybon? How do you manage your exposure? Here? I don't. I, I just treat every draft different, and I don't. I don't. I'm not tracking. I mean, I'll track it just kind of, but more out of curiosity of, of my exposures. But I'm treating every draft as a, a separate entity, and I'm going and making decisions based on what I think is the optimal way to approach that draft given the players available. So if, because just like I'm higher on most of the Chiefs, even the guys that are going early, um, I'm a few, I'm usually a few picks higher than that on than the consensus. I'm higher on Will Fuller. Um, I'm higher on uh, to give another example, Henry Rugg. So I get a lot of those guys. Um, I won't always get them. Uh, I won't, and sometimes it'll come down to roster construction. Sometimes it'll be because uh, they're taken. You know, it, there are different reasons for why I may not take them or may not get them. But I am not actively trying to like limit my exposure to any one player because it's not about the players you miss on. It's about the players you hit. Yeah. Are, are you at least like tracking your exposure? Because like I, there are like for the, the reason I do it is just like you said, the guys that I know I want, I'm going to get in most drafts, but sometimes there are these groups of receivers. Like there's this like receivers in like these, this like fourth to seventh round where there's a ton of guys I like and I might accidentally like just keep going like something like McLaurin over Chark. And as long as I'm tracking it, I might realize that I'm way out of whack there. Are you at least looking at something like that? Yeah. And that's where I think it's most valuable because there are a bunch of receivers in that, in that tier specifically that are going in those rounds that very little separates them. And I think that, uh, you can kind of make a case for any of them, but the bottom line is those are going to be the meat of, of your wide receiver roster and, and depth mm-hmm. chart. I think uh, there is a premium on on running backs this year because you get to the third round and all of a sudden you're having to like think about Todd Gurley and, and like that. <laughs> yeah. like that, that is just not that can't be the right. way to do to, to, to right. do fantasy. That just can't be the way. So um, I think you know drafting running back early is generally important. Uh, I like to. 
uh, come away with a Mark Andrews uh, if I can, even a Mahomes at times just to kind of um, increase my upside, especially in, in sharper drafts where I know uh, a lot of times, you know, people are actively kind of fading that strategy and, and kind of sticking to a rigid running back or, or wide receiver centric approach. So um, I think it's really important to target those guys in four through seven. And, and that is where I think it's valuable to track and, and kind of make sure that you are kind of diversifying a little, as long as you actually feel the same way. Maybe there are some guys that, that you don't like quite as much and then you fade them. But hey, I have those guys ranked very similarly. So you're not a girly guy. This is not going to take us down the Antonio Brown wormhole, right? Oh, it's worse. Oh, oh this no, it's, is it, worse than the Brown. You know wormhole. why? You know why it's worse? You know why it's worse? Because at least Brown, you can get like as the last pick of the draft or somewhere yeah. near. Like Todd Gurley has all this downside risk that has yet to be realized, and so not only is he kind of giving drafters and us like a false sense of, of comfort but he's tricking the models because he really hasn't missed many games you know like it, it take you have to kind of look at the underlying metrics and the fact that like he's completely uh, d- dissolved in terms of his receiving ability his best attribute now is is his pass blocking which is which is just absurd oh um and and he's and he's like a straight line runner that's gonna like wiggle in between and get what's blocked but he's not making plays he's not that guy that we saw a couple years ago that you know was a threat to you know put up a thousand receiving yards so uh, you know, obviously he came into the league with concerns about the knee and because they've been unrealized, unlike a guy like Will Fuller, where it's completely baked in and, you know, we're kind of overly aware at this point of, of Will Fuller, like Todd Gurley, all that downside risk isn't spread out over a number of years. It really hasn't been realized. Even last year, he kind of masked his decline with touchdowns in that Ram offense. And so, He's just like a ticking time bomb that I want no pieces of, especially in Atlanta where they, they're like one of the few teams that I think could actually give like a, an unproven guy some goal line carries mm-hmm. because they were doing it last year in, in Quadri Allison. And why else would you have him active on game day? Like what else can he do? <laughs> like why, do you, why is he there? And it's a team that's actively talked about working in four guys. They have Ito Smith. They have Bryant. Like it's just not and, – and he's going to play on this new playing surface, you know, that he hasn't played on before. Like none of this can be good is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, let's, um, let's kind of ease back into some, some more general um, tournament uh, theory topics this is probably the last like really big one uh, you actually kind of you, you've hinted at one thing that I think is really sharp and you've, you've talked a lot about uh, Kelsey and and Mark Andrews I think going uh, elite tight end is a very sharp best ball strategy but um, one thing that that we're always looking for in DFS is leverage that we're usually talking about leverage in terms of ownership but, but another way to gain leverage in DFS um, is by building unique lineups whether it be through your roster construction something like um, um on slot or like I talked about earlier uh, paying up at a position when the when the chalk is to pay down at that position what are some ways in best ball tournaments that you're making your um, lineups unique so I think you know stacking is definitely one of them and then I think um, being willing to draft players that uh, you have to be more willing to go farther away from ADP the further down in the draft you get, mm-hmm. not because um, you're you're trying to be contrarian for the sense of being contrarian, but because like there are there are just if you just try to draft the quote unquote values according to ADP, that it, you're 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 literally regressing yourself to the mean, and right. 
because it's average draft position. So mm-hmm. that's when, like, I, I, you know, it's it's a combination, I guess, of being uh, bullish and bearish, you know, to a greater extent on, on certain players. Like, I think people rely, uh, and rankers in particular in this industry, uh, we adhere and rely uh, and are too aware of ADP. And this goes for all the rounds. So, like, you know, people will say, well... Uh, you know, like, like even like if like their idea of fading Todd Gurley is like, okay, well, I wouldn't take him, you know, where he's going at, you know, 36th overall, but if he drops to 43rd, mm-hmm. you know, great value. And I'm just like, right. no, I just don't want, just I want zero point. Todd Gurley, right. you know, like, and, and like, I, I'm fine with having like, you know, 80 will, 80% will fall or something like that. So just kind of these combinations that, that people, and, and then, and then like, I am willing to, for example, it, you know, draw draft three rookie wide receivers like I I, I will draft have a draft where I go like Mims uh, well, or Ruggs Ruggs is another guy I'm getting everywhere I think he's going he has a good chance of leading the Raiders in in air yards right from the jump I don't think you take a guy like him over Lamb over Judy if you don't plan to use him Gruden is that kind of coach it was clear that he he wanted to upgrade that whole offense so um, he, he, like I could take Rugs, I could take Mims, I could take Ayuk. I might even have a in a deep league of Lavisca Chenault, uh, you mm. know. So and I'll combine those guys. And a lot of people maybe they'll they'll, they'll say, hey, I'll take one of these guys. And so it just kind of naturally happens. I think you just have to kind of be able to look beyond the ADP and even the the projections and rankings to some extent, and, and kind of uh, look at look at ceiling and kind of isolate ceiling and say, you know. Almost everyone you're drafting in those rounds, especially the later you get, has this floor of zero uh, on a weekly basis. But who are the guys that um, could, could could give me the most weeks of, of high upside production? And I think you kind of arrive at, at different answers um, naturally than the consensus. So it's, it's, it's just kind of being contrarian um naturally in my opinion and i mean if you people want to see my rankings actionnetwork.com they're up we have we have uh special best ball rankings where i kind of you know bump up the guys that i do target more in best ball like those air yard guys um and um, tony pollard at running back is another one for a variety of reasons I, i i you know i combine him with um you know i think you can do something with dallas stacking wise where you can Zeke is going to be hard to, to get right because he's a top three pick. Right. So, but you can have get a lot of leverage on Zeke, who is you know projects to be one of the top players in fantasy. Um, if you're if you're drafting Dak and, and Amari and Gallup and Jarwin and uh and, and Pollard, or even if you're just drafting Pollard and a couple of those guys, because if something happens to Zeke, you just have this leverage on what would have been like a top fantasy player that might just ruin you know team number two or three or whatever pick he went it might ruin their season because if your first pick in the draft whiffs um you know it, it could be the difference so um mm-hmm. you know it not not you know just based on bad luck so um things like that I, I think you do but generally speaking i think it's just think about upside and, and fade the narrative and remember your chances are are the actual percent chance you have of winning and kind of and say so like if you have a a 12 team league you have an eight percent chance of winning so it's okay to take a guy late or, or three guys late because you're drafting the best ball is deep you're drafting 20 yep. man rosters it's okay to take guys that you think have an eight percent chance uh, of blowing up because yes. you know like you take one of those guys okay maybe everyone has one you take two now you exponentially increase the probability that one blows up you take three now you know what i mean so it kind of builds on itself mm-hmm. so uh that, that's what i would recommend 
Yeah, I, I, I want to, um, you touched on, on the point kind of of like getting unique in those really late rounds. And I, I want to parrot something that Drew Dinkmeyer said on ETR uh, last week or the week before is that like, even in those, those very late rounds, um, some guys still have an ADP and some guys don't. Um, so even though best ball is deep, uh, you can go really, really deep on, on some depth charts, whether it be um, like LaVisca Chenault or yeah. shoot, stay on the same team, Raquel Armstead. Um, but like like Ding said, like everybody through the first 12 rounds or 13 rounds is going to be owned in 100% of leagues. In those last few rounds, you could get guys that might only be owned in 20 or 30% leagues. Uh, so you can make yourself a little bit unique that way through player uh, selection, which is hard to do in best ball. Are are you also implementing anything like extreme roster strategies, like maybe like one quarterback or hyper-fragile hyper three running back strategy? Um, are you not really looking to force those at all? Yeah, I'll do them, but the, and I'm kind of aware and under kind of, of their strengths and weaknesses. And like as I'm executing the strategy or it's like setting up for me to do so, um, I'm kind of aware of it and how that would, you know, alter my approach or what I need to be looking out for. But yeah, I'm not forcing any strategy that mm -hmm. involves uh, positions. And I think that's the thing with, with, you know, every draft is going to be different. And I think you really just have to, if you're somebody that's putting time into this, in, into researching and listening to these podcasts and, and getting this information and these different perspectives, which I think are incredibly valuable, then the best way to put that into practice is by getting those reps, just dr drafting over and over and getting good at, at, at just winning one draft at a time, winning one round at a time, making the optimal pick for that draft based on the players available, uh, you know, and, and, and take it one at a time. And I think that's how you're going to end up with the best chances of winning. I think if you just try to kind of spread out your players and, and get exposures and, and kind of let that dictate things or let positions dictate things or strategies dictate, you know, percentage of, of teams you go with each strategy, like zero running back or whatever, all you're doing is raising your floor. But the point in best ball, and this goes for regular fantasy as well, is is to raise your ceiling like even in regular fantasy i think we should think about it more like best ball where you after you draft your starters you you want weak winners like it really doesn't like either the guy's going to be on your bench and you're never going to have the confidence to use him anyway or he's going to put up performances that you can't ignore and, and you're gonna and you're gonna start him or you're gonna trade him because mm -hmm. you can trade in regular fantasy so like there's just all there are just all these benefits to kind of thinking about ceiling and upside after you fill that your quote unquote uh starting lineup yeah so you can't prepare for a lot of things with the coronavirus right so COVID 19 does that affect the preparation what are you doing with it because it's a lot for anybody to wrap their heads around you just can't predict what's going to happen so how do you go about drafting these teams yeah. and DraftKings doesn't like specify they're out for covid which is mm. interesting because a site like underdog is saying after four weeks they have the right to call it a full season if it's canceled DraftKings doesn't isn't specifying what their out's going to be it just says they have the the right to change the gameplay which is interesting yeah it's I mean, from a from a purely from a drafting perspective, I think that what looks like it's happening is is people are going to overthink it. Like, I think the most relevant thing to come out of it is that you're seeing players opt out. It's cre it's shifting depth charts and creating opportunities, and there are like these kind of nuanced changes that you know could end up providing you know players a, a situation to to put up value. Like, for example, we 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 got word recently that in in Miami. Preston Williams, who 
you know, showed a lot of promise and was actually, you know, used, uh, being targeted just as much as Devontae Parker before, you know, going down uh, is healthy. Uh, Albert Wilson just opted out. Alan Hearns just opted out. That was two of their, you know, top receivers outside of Parker and, and, Will- and, and Williams. So, like, you now have to think a lot more about Williams, who's kind of locked in if he's healthy and, and has a lot of upside. Uh, going late in drafts as well so you add him to that list but it's just really those kind of situations um Kelvin Harmon going down for the year um in a best ball draft Steven Sims is a person you, you have to think about just because um there you know in Washington there's there's no tight ends you know, we have no idea what's going on at running back and you only have Terry McLaurin so there's 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 an opportunity there um and, and Sims is a, like a talented guy but um I worry that he is one of those kind of short you know short um, short area guys and that's all he'll be but um, you know like you have to start like think think about it in that sense Kishon Vaughn just losing valuable time in, for a coach that seems to value that veteran presence with a, a quarterback who's not gonna just stand in the in the backfield with a rookie who doesn't know the protections so like certain guys are being impacted but it's a case-by-case basis I think mm-hmm. as far as the general narratives people are probably overthinking it there's not one general rule there's not one size fits all um they're, they're like teams remember COVID was a thing when teams drafted and teams still drafted guys that um it's pretty clear that they have plans for mm-hmm. uh, immediately so you know, like, like, like look at the Rams with Van Jefferson. That that pick went under the radar. They drafted him in the second round over a lot of, uh, you know, they dra- over offensive linemen that they could have taken. And, and it, it's it's clear that you know he's a pro ready route runner, uh, a, a, and he's a short to intermediate guy. Josh Reynolds is the exact opposite, and it, it seems clear that the Rams want to transition to this quick hitting passing attack. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if Jefferson is starting over Reynolds. I'm not saying like go out and draft him unless you're in a super deep league, but I'm saying things like that. That's those are the real effects I, I think of this pandemic um, and, and just how teams are approaching it. That like go under the radar when people are generalizing and saying, well, you know, young guys might struggle or second year guys may not develop or rookies may struggle. Uh, like it, like it's so it's so dependent on the individual players uh, and teams so generally I'm just like kind of if like fading the market like if the market is gonna let rookie ADP slip then I'm drafting more rookies because mm-hmm. you can't teach spe- like speed and, and explosiveness and generally speaking rookies are gonna have the most of that and remember in the 2011 lockout who struggled more was it offenses or defenses that offenses had a record-breaking year in efficiency yeah. um, after that stoppage which lasted from like March to July and it was it was even it was more different than this one because teams there was no nothing going on, no team activities. Like there wasn't even Zoom meetings. Like there was yeah. nothing, and offenses broke records. So yeah. um, it, there's more upside to me in just fading the narrative and fading the COVID situation and not overthinking it. Yeah, pretty much any way you broke down numbers, um, looking back at 2011, whether it be points scored, rookie numbers, rookies hitting yeah. a certain point threshold. Like I've <laughs> I've done every angle I could try to think of for 2011, and like there was almost no effect, if not like better for offenses. So oh, um, it was yeah. much better. They set yeah. passing yeah. efficiency yeah. records. Yeah, at the yeah. time, they've since been broken, but at the time, records. So it's like that's that's the just the perfect example right there of why it's like. We don't, it's so hard to predict these, these things as it is, but nothing's really different in the sense that there's, yeah, there's a whole lot of uncertainty. There's just one more variable added in, but the market is in general overrating that one variable or, or letting it influence decisions in a way that um, are suboptimal to winning fantasy leagues, in my opinion. 
Yeah, assuming uh, they do hit the field, these dudes still got to go out there and um, they still got to play and they still got to ball out. Uh, Raybon, dude, I could talk to you for another hour about football. I have a feeling uh, with how much uh, we do with labs in action that that will happen uh, throughout the season at some point. Uh, remind everybody again where you're at, what you're doing, what you got going on. ActionNetwork.com for all the content, the rankings, the, the fantasy tool, which should be out uh, by the time you guys hear this. Uh, on Twitter, at Chris Raybon. Action Network app, at Chris Raybon. I track all my bets, um, not just for NFL, um, but for every sport. I already got like 13 bets on week one. I'll be putting all my player props in there uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, Sirius XM on, on Saturdays and Sundays. And uh, an Action Network podcast, um, you can check it out. Just search Action Network podcast on your podcast app. We, we're doing uh, fantasy episodes with guests two times a week now. We'll have the betting episodes um, weekly during the season. Me and Stuck both hit um, our bets at a 60% clip. So um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot going on. And we're also doing the NBA um, bet streams. We've got another one coming up Friday and, and some more in the near future. So um, be sure to check that out as well. Yeah, like I said, always a big fan of action and, and labs. Uh, if you haven't signed up for 4 for 4 DFS subscription yet, I highly recommend you do that as soon as possible, uh, especially with, with this best ball tournament going on. You're going to want to get some money on DraftKings ASAP. Uh, you can get 25% off the DFS subscription by signing up with the code DFSMVP. Uh, after you follow Chris, make sure you follow the rest of us at 444Football, Holden at Holden Radio, and of course myself at TJ Hernandez. We'll talk to you guys next week. Look, I mastered this. You can smell it once the plastic hits. Hot play to make it swell up. If the gasket clip, you can make your chip swell up. You don't have to pitch. Play them corners like a safety. Watching traffic switch. Young and never pump fake. And you'll get past.